We are continuing in our series, New Life, all right? And it's this idea of, of saying, like, let's just, let's take what, what we know about the faith and say, and just say, Sunday morning, and maybe, you know, hopefully you're involved in a, in a small group during the week, a community group, and just, just realize that taking what we say that we believe and then actually putting it in action, that only a Sunday and a Wednesday will not be enough. It's not going to be enough, right? If we want to become like Jesus, if we want to do the things that Jesus did, we need to start, it starts by knowing Jesus. And then it starts by saying, adopting the lifestyle of Jesus, of saying, if I want to become like somebody, what's the best way to do that? Well, to adopt the same lifestyle as them, right? And so this series is looking at this idea of how do I know Jesus and how do I begin to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus so that I can have the life of Jesus, right? And so that's what we've been looking at. We started um, two weeks ago, and you can, you can go back and, and re-look at those, those sermons. So the first uh, week really was kind of an introduction into this big idea, and last week Luke talked about the idea of abiding, that which basically is a big fancy word for saying listening, taking the time to actually listen for God to speak, to take that time, of, uh, you know, to spend some time putting down my phone, to spend some time in silence and listening and asking God, inviting God to speak to me, spending time in his presence and with him. All right, so that's, that was last week. So this week, we're looking at something different. We're looking at the life of the mind. All right, the life of the mind. Now, this is something that, for me, if I'm honest, is a bit of a struggle. And here's my tension. I like to learn new things. I like to read really things that most people don't enjoy reading, if I'm just honest. I like to know information. I love facts of information. Like if you want like somebody who knows random facts of information, and I'm not necessarily being boastful here, but like I'm your man for like a table quiz, okay? Like I, I like, don't ask me to remember anything important. That's the thing. You want me to remember something important, like your birthday, forget it. But like, if you want me to remember like a random fact of information that doesn't matter to anything, I'm your man, all right? Like, I enjoy that kind of stuff. I enjoy information. And when it comes to the Bible, I enjoy learning about the Bible. But here is my tension. I enjoyed learning about Jesus. And to a degree, I think I was slowly becoming more like Jesus and knowing Jesus more. But I think I was coming to the Bible more like a mine of information than I was a place of transformation. And that's a problem. And so as we come to talk about the mind, I think churches in general, and this was something I think, and I, and I talked about this the very first week, that I was guilty of in our church, of trying to fill your heads with information, assuming it would lead to transformation. And in that way, I think I've, I've failed you guys some in, in that level. And one of the reasons for this series is to hopefully begin to, to correct that, to say, Information is important. Like, we're going to talk about the life of the mind today. It's important, but it needs to be set within its place. It is not the end-all, be-all. It is not the only thing that is important. Just knowing all of the right things and having the right answer for the, you know, the Bible table quiz, whatever that is, and, you know, something that will never exist probably around here. But, like, but saying, like, that's not what's important. What's important is that that information leads to transformation. 
to relationship with Christ, that it translates into being able to live in relationship as people who possess the Holy Spirit, living in relationship with God, knowing Him and becoming like Him. And so this, we're going to talk about this a little bit in a, in, a, in a moment. But next week, Luke is going to talk about the body and the importance of the body. So each one of these, we're basically we're taking categories of our lives. Do not see these categories. Because like, we talk about the life of the mind. And next week, we talk about body. And last week, we talked about abiding. Like, do not see them as like these completely separate things. See it like a Venn diagram, right? They're all influencing each other. And they all you know, together make up us as a whole person. They are parts of who we are. And so each one of these is, is interconnected. So don't see this sermon on, my, on, on like the life of the mind and like as like this isolated thing. See it within its whole within this series as it's a part of a bigger series that has to do with a holistic like way of life. Who we are, who you are, who I am, and who we want to become. So again, this is not the end-all be-all. This is a part of becoming, um, of being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus. Because we talked about in the first week, John chapter 10, uh, verse 10, which in the New Living Translation says this, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, and these are the words of Jesus, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. How many of you would go, yeah, no thanks, I don't want that. Right, uh, and if you read like the new the new international version, uh, it says to have it to the full life to the full. That that's what Jesus is offering. Like I don't think I'm just gonna go ahead and speak for you. I I don't think you would say no to that, right? If somebody said, "Hey, I can give you life like you never imagined. I can give you life to the full. You can have a rich and satisfying life." How many of us would say no? Thank you. None of us. I don't think. Because here's the thing: as human beings. This is a pursuit. This is something all of us are pursuing. And really, it just comes down to who do we believe or what do we believe will actually give us a rich and satisfying life. And so all of us are going around trying to find that place where we can find a rich and satisfying life. And what Jesus says is you're not going to find it in all of these other things that you're going to be tempted to pursue. It's not going to be found in having the most money in being you know, the most fit person at your gym. <laughs> it's not going to be found in being the best at your profession. It's not going to be found at, you know, in, in anything else. Rather, if you want to find life and to find it abundantly or satisfyingly or to the full, depending on your translation of that Greek word, right? it comes with Jesus. Jesus is the one who brings that. And so I think the reality for many of us who are Christians is we say, yes, I, I believe that. I believe that Jesus is the one who brings life to the full. I think that's why most of us come here, right? We find Jesus compelling. Like we say, oh, when I read about Jesus and his life, it looks compelling. It looks like a great life. I mean, he washed people's feet. He was generous. He was kind. You know, he, he went around serving other people, loving other people. We look at that and we go, that is a life well lived, right? Like, that is a life well lived. And, and, and so Jesus offering this rich and satisfying life, we say, yes, yeah, okay, I like that. That's great. But we talked about, like we talked about the first week, there's a disconnect between what we say, yeah, I believe that, and then the way we live. 
oftentimes we, you know, we say, yeah, okay, Jesus, that's great, that's wonderful. And we almost kind of go, yeah, that was wonderful for Jesus, <laughs> you know, but like, but you know, I'd rather just keep doing these things over here, and that's that's fine, thank you very much. You know, I trust that Jesus you know brings life abundantly, but you know, like at the same time, you know, we, we try and live with our feet on, on kind of both sides here, you know, like trying to straddle the line, you know, like and 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 yet I think what we experience for, for most of us, I think. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm reading into this, I don't know, but I think for most of us, what we end up experiencing is a life that is less than full. It has its great moments, it has its highs, it has its, you know, its lows, it has, you know, uh, but yet it is not necessarily a life that feels deeply full and rich and satisfying. We have these mountaintop moments that feel rich and deep and satisfying, but it's more like, you know, more like a curve rather than a steady life, a rich and satisfying life. Now, again, one of the things, you know, Jesus says, look, there's going to be hard times. There's going to be difficulties. He never shies away from that. It's not that, like, life won't be difficult, but that that rich and satisfying life doesn't need to be, you know, an, a, a deep curve with deep valleys and, and, you know, high highs. It can be, what if it could be a plane that actually says, this is my life. It is rich and satisfying. And yes, it has its wonderful moments and it has its sad moments, but when I look at my life, I feel that it is rich and satisfying and that it is full. How do we get there? Like, I think that's the question. And I, and I found myself asking that question of saying, I've been a Christian for a long time now, but yet I don't feel like, I feel that tension that says Jesus offers life to the full, but yet I'm not sure I actually experience that. And so I think all of us like I said, feel that tension. And we make excuses. We ignore it. We justify it. We say, well, you know, I mean, that was good for Jesus. Or like, you know, I mean, Jesus was God, right? You know, so okay. You know, like, or we look at it. We, we, you know, we can make all the excuses in the world to say, well, that's, that's all well and good. But there's a reason I'm not experiencing it. And usually what it comes down to is we project that out onto other things rather than saying, actually, maybe it is as simple being with Jesus, being like Jesus, and doing the things he did. That it's being with our, our rabbi, as we talked again the first week. Our, you know, Jesus called himself a rabbi. He, he accepted that term, which meant a teacher. That it's like being an apprentice to the teacher and knowing him and being like him. Maybe that's the key to living the life that God wants us to. Now again, this comes to, once we've come to Jesus and said, you are the way, the truth, and the life, and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm talking about. It's the tension that says, after we've done those things, after we've said, yes, I believe Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, like, I, I give my life to Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a Christian, a committed follower of Jesus. It's that tension then that comes after that, right? And so that's what I'm talking, that's what we're addressing here in this series, is saying, how do we begin to resolve that tension? And, and, I, and I'm not stupid enough to think that we will perfectly resolve that tension here in our lives. You know, as, as, like, I think, but I think we can get to the point where we experience more and more the life to the full that Jesus offers. And maybe you've known somebody like this. Maybe you've known people like this. And you just think, like, well, that's unattainable for me. No, it's not. It's not unattainable. You think about that person that you know that is like the most amazing, incredible, virtuous person you know. Like that's not out of the realm of possibility for you. Like I think about like some of the people like that, that I've known in my life that I think like, you know, 
if they do sin, it must be something really small because, like, they're incredible. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, those people that you're like, wow, you know, and, and, and it's not out of reach. It's one of those of going, like, that's actually not out of reach for me. It may be right now at the moment, but if I take, start beginning to take those steps toward a life filled with the Spirit, a life of following Jesus, that maybe it is actually attainable that someday I could get to that point too where I could have that relationship with Christ that these other people have. And I don't mean that like self-comparison in a bad way. I mean it like in a good way. So instead of making excuses, let's begin to reflect and say, how do I live that life? And like I said, we, we try then, I think, often and fill it with the things that we think will lead to fullness. And... And I'm about to just take a moment to, to, I think, be somewhat critical of the culture that we live in. And the reason I'm doing that is not because I think everything within our culture is bad, not because I think we need to like retreat into a commune out in the middle of Connemara somewhere and never talk to anybody else outside. Okay, I don't think those things, all right? And there have been people in the past that that was the solution, right? Like, let's just retreat from the world and let's, you know, let's live like it's 1892 and we'll like, you know, we'll all, you know, like, like there's been people who have taken that path and said, that's, that's the way. I don't think that's the way, okay? But I do think it's important that if we are, you know, that this culture is the water that we swim in and we begin to be critical and see sometimes, see it for, for what it is. And so I'm going to make some, just a few, um, I suppose, generalizations that hopefully will help get us thinking here. But one of the things that I think is that we live in a culture that makes it hard to follow Jesus. And, and here's, here's one of the reasons why. Because we view happiness as the ultimate good, okay? And so everything becomes geared around finding happiness. And what I mean by that is it's different than like a lasting joy, but experiences and moments of happiness, those highs that we're talking about, you know? And, and so what ends up happening then is I need to be free to find those things that make me happy whatever they are, that give me a moment of happiness. I need to be free to find and to experience those. And so what ends up happening then is individual freedom becomes the ultimate good because that's what leads to happiness. Being able to do whatever I want, to have whatever I want, to find whatever I want becomes the ultimate good in our culture, right? Complete, personal, individual freedom is the way to happiness in our culture, right? So you be you, you do you, you do the things that make you happy, and so long as they don't bother me, then it's fine, right? This idea of, of ultimate freedom, and we're not going to get into the inconsistencies or anything like that that exists in there. I just think it's, one again, just to say, I think that that's kind of the air we breathe in, right? And so even there it can be really easy for church to become an accessory to my life rather than letting Jesus be the king of my life. He becomes an accessory to my life, right? A way, you know, so that Jesus can help me be a better me or something like that. And what we don't want is these things to turn us into, you know, uh, to turn into like project self, right? We have enough of that in our world and we don't need more of that. What we need is, is something outside of ourselves, I think. But the problem is, is I think, again, we live in this idea that complete 
personal, individual freedom is the way to happiness. And so I can only be happy if. We all have those things, right? You all, every, every one of us has those things. And you could make your own list. That's, that's your own personal inventory there that says, I can only be happy if. And it might be actually a really good exercise for you to, for you to answer that question. What is the answer to that question? I can only be happy if I have someone to share my life with, a partner. I could only be happy if I can go wherever I want. I can go on that holiday, or I can go on that, you know, I could only be happy if I can buy whatever I want. I can buy my way to happiness. So I need to have a lot of money. I can only be happy if I'm free to sleep with whoever I want, eat whatever I want. And what ends up happening often because we live then in a Western consumerist sort of mindset, is that financial freedom can easily become a necessary way to happiness, and so therefore I become a slave to my job. So that I have enough money, so then I can live for the weekend <laughs> and do whatever I want then, and have those experiences of happiness. And what we know is that becomes a yo-yo, right? Moments of high, I hate my job, I had fun at the lake, I hate my job. You know, like, like all of a sudden it becomes, you know, I, I'm overworked, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, but now I need to go out and party. You know, like it becomes this like, this yo-yo where I actually become a slave to money. I'm not actually free. What I thought would bring freedom actually enslaves me. Or how about this? When it comes to finding that right partner or being able to do, everyone, I mean, I know this probably isn't the funnest one to talk about, but how often in our culture does being able to sleep with whoever I want become an ultimate freedom? Being able to have, have sex with whoever I want. And I know the church has often been very hard on this topic. Okay? But I think it is a relevant cultural one that we need to, we need to address um, both negatively and positively. I think there's, there's both sides to that. But here's what I wanted to say about that. Is often then that attitude forces me to enslave other people to my desires. I will manipulate and use someone to get what I feel I need. And so now, not only am I enslaved to a desire, but I'm enslaving somebody else to fulfill that desire. And so in a way, I told you Western consumerism, I'm consuming other people. We become consumers, consumers of other people, consumers of money, consumers of, of, like, of everything. Everything is viewed through the lens of competition and consuming. And this is unhealthy. Again, I'm picking on a specific <laughs> way of life because it is the way of life that I think we find typically here. We could pick on other ways of life. That would be easy to do. But I pick on this one because I think it's the, it's the air we, we breathe. Consuming in Western culture then ultimately becomes the way to happiness, and therefore consumerism becomes a form of slavery. And so we try and fit it with things that we think will lead to fullness, and yet our experience, again, is that it doesn't work. It doesn't lead to the fullness that they promise, the fullness that we think we will find. And the reason I think that is, is because you and I have been conditioned by the culture that we live in to naturally chase after cheap imitations. Now you're like, what does this have to do with the life of the mind? I think it has everything. 
Because the things that we put into our brain, the things that we think, they become who we are. <laughs> they become who we become. They become who we become. Does that make sense? You know what I mean, right? We are being influenced. We like to think that we are free thinkers, that we decide for ourselves. Yet for most of us, we don't. The problem is we actually don't think about the things that we believe. And so we end up acting in a way that is maybe even deeply inconsistent with the things that we say we believe. And so let's, let's unpack that a little bit. So we're going to look at the life of, life of the mind. And why is a Christian the life of the mind and how we cultivate our minds is important. Everything you do is spiritual formation. All right, that's first off. You need to know this. Everything you do is spiritual formation because it's forming your spirit. Whatever you do, whether that's, um, you know, the activities that, that you enjoy doing on, on the weekend, both, you know, ones that might be healthy or unhealthy, <laughs> you know, like whatever habits that you have, all of those are forming who you are. The things that you watch, the things that you listen to, the friends that you hang out with, the things that you talk to, you know, you talk about, all of that, the article, the news articles you read, that, you know, hey, news is for profit. So whatever news station you choose to tune into, whatever echo chamber you want to live in, all of that is forming you into someone. <coughs> Nothing really is neutral. You, it, every single one of thing that we do is pressing onto us a way of life. And maybe a helpful way for us to kind of understand this is, is to like think of a metaphor that we, you know, that sometimes gets thrown around. Metaphors that we live by are always really interesting ones maybe to unpack sometimes uh, cultural thoughts like time is money, things like that. You know, you could take like these kind of phrases that we have in our culture. I'm going to pick on one. Retail therapy. Is this one like people are familiar with, right? Retail therapy. Let's pick that apart for a second. Therapy implies that we're unhappy and in need of some kind of help, right? Now, we say it usually jokingly, but at the same time, when you really unpack the metaphor, it implies, right? right? I mean, if, if I decide, you know what? I really need to go to therapy. There's probably a good reason for it. I need somebody to talk to. I need to unpack some issues in my life to work through some things, and that's all well and good, right? But like therapy implies unhappiness and needing help. The retail side of that implies that that's where I'll find the help that I need. Right? It's help through buying something that makes me feel better for a moment. Right? Retail explains that the end goal of happiness can be found in buying something. So I'm sad, and if I buy something, I'll feel happy. Right? It's a metaphor, I think, that often rings true in our lives. Or maybe you're a person who doesn't maybe go buy something. Maybe you eat something. You know, like it's, you know, or whatever it might be for you. Right? So... We come then, you know, with, with the idea of retail therapy. It, comes, it becomes a way to deal with the sadness and frustrations of a broken world for some people. Right? When I'm sad, I go buy something maybe cheap. I go to pennies and I buy something I don't need, but it made me feel better for a moment. Right? So this idea of retail therapy. Here's another, here's another example even on, on the retail therapy one. I was struck once because I probably watch, you know, I, anyway, add on YouTube, okay, before I start, you know, Again, making you guys do therapy on me here. Um, but like, you know, I was watching YouTube, okay? There was an ad that came up for Kildare Village. How many of you guys have been to Kildare Village? Like, you know, like, yeah. They call it an outlet, but nothing there is cheap. 
Okay, so like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't often buy like, you know, Gucci purses, so I don't know what one like not at an outlet costs, but um, they're still really expensive. So I, anyway, Kildare Village, it's in Kildare, shopping center, okay? So this ad pops up for Kildare Village. Why it's like being targeted at me, I'm not quite sure. Um, you know, but like, so this ad for Kildare Village pops up and on it, I mean, you can just picture these people, right? They're the most happy people in the entire world. You know, and they're throwing their head back laughing and they're, you know, eating some like, you know, some treat as they sip their coffee out in the sunshine. And, and you know, like people are, you know, practically dancing to their cars with shopping bags. And, and you know, and, it, and there's no words in the entire ad, right? It's just people having the greatest time in the world. And all the while in the background is this song. And there's only one phrase in the entire song that just gets repeated over and over and over. This is all you need. There was nothing about any of the shops at Kildare Village. They didn't tell you you could you know, buy really expensive you know, purses or anything like that. There was nothing. It was just people seen having a wonderful time. Why? Because they know just saying, hey, we have a, you know, a Gucci outlet and an Asics outlet and a, you know, whatever. Like, that, people don't care about that. Not necessarily. I mean, they do kind of at the end of the day, but, you know. But they know that the way to our money is through our desire. And so they come in not just into our brain, but they come through our heart. And so much of what we know and so much of what we we, we intuit and feel, like, doesn't just come through our brain, but it comes through our heart, right? Through our desires. And so, so much of the things being pushed on us are being pushed with desire in mind. Not just like, hey, here's a saw, it cuts wood, it cuts wood better than other saws. It's like, look at how happy this man is as he saws, you know? Like, like that's what it is, right? You know, you've never seen anyone happier to use a handsaw. When in reality, you know, like if you've ever used a handsaw, you're like, you know? So like that whole idea of like somebody just, you know, some Fabio man throwing his hair back as he, as he like saws the wood, you know? Like, like that's, and we know it's ridiculous, yet somehow deep in us it begins to like speak to us. And we're like, that saw would be better, wouldn't it? You know, I think, you know? and I know, it's, I know it's silly, but that's like, that's so often how it works. Or think about like every car ad ever. Again, there was like a Kia ad I saw. Even the fact that I know it was a Kia probably tells me the ad worked, right? And it told me nothing about the fuel economy of the Kia. It told me nothing about whether it was petrol or diesel. It told me nothing about like, you know, the volume of the boot. It told me nothing about that. All it did was it showed, all, it showed this couple. They were the happiest couple you would ever seen in your life as they stopped at the mountains and overlooked the vista. Do you know? And then next thing you know, they were pulling the surfboards off the top and they were out in the sea, you know? And then next thing they were at dinner, you know, eating some like delicious steak, you know? And it was like, Kia will take you there, you know? And it's like, again, so like, it's, it's all of this stuff. We know it, it's silly, but it's all getting in here. They do it for a reason. They do it because they know it works. Right? So we are being shaped. We've been conditioned to chase after these cheap imitations to say, you will be happy when you have that Kia. You will be happy when you buy all of this stuff at Kildare Village. You will be happy when you have that saw or whatever it is. Like, this is what you need. Right? And so how do we counter those stories? Well, there are quite a few ways that we can counter 
uh, these stories. But one of the things I think is important to realize is that we live from narratives. We are story people. And this is what advertisers understand. We live more out of, out of story than we do out of fact. And interestingly enough, the Bible is a majority story. Um, it's as if God knew that, um, how he created us, right? So the bulk of the Bible is not just like facts of information. The bulk of the Bible is story. And much of it is moral formation through story and all these kinds of things. If you remember back to our series in Gideon, right? Judges doesn't say Gideon was, you know, was good here and bad here. It's up to you to read the story and figure it out for yourself, right? Um, so, so we understand, like, we live through narratives. And we unconsciously live through, most of our narratives are unconsciously lived. Okay? Now, here's, here's a moment again. We're going to get into uh, a chart. There you go. Here's your chart. Um, so here's something I want to talk about, how formation works. And this is, again, this is relevant. I promise it's important when it comes to talking about the life of the mind and how we learn and how we understand how we become who we are. And this will play into next week as well. So if you look at this chart, we've got stories, habits, rituals, and worship. All right? At a meta level, this is how culture is formed. This is how culture is formed. All right? It's, it's the stories we believe. It is the habits that we form. It is the things that we worship. Okay? And every culture throughout history, you can look and you can find those three things. They lived out of a story, out of a narrative of the way life is, the way, thing, the way reality is. They lived out of, they then cultivated habits, things that people just took for granted and just did, right? Um, think about like the way that we live in culture is similar to the way that if you get up in the middle of the night, you can find the bathroom without turning the lights on, right? Through repetition and through like knowledge, like we just kind of go through life. Much of what we do is unthought about, like how sometimes maybe you drove here this morning and you don't actually remember... You know, you don't remember five minutes of the drive. You know, <laughs> like, you were, like, zoned out. You know, like, you know the way. You know what you're doing, right? And so, so much of what we do just kind of happens. And so, so, when we start thinking about the life of the mind, story, the stories that we believe, the stories that we live out of are one of the three main formative things that we, like, that will shape who we become. And each one of these categories influences the others. So the stories I believe will influence the habits that I form, and it will influence the things that I worship. But equally, the, things that, the habits that I, I take on will influence the stories I believe and the things that I worship. And I bet you can say what I'm about to say about worship, right? The things that I worship will influence the stories I believe and the habits I form, right? And in the middle, that's who I become, what I believe in those three categories. So it's not just at a meta level, but at a personal level too. Those things, the things that I believe will shape who we are. Now, here's a problem. Churches typically don't focus a whole lot on the rituals and worship, right? At least not in our tradition, right? It tends to be pretty low church, pretty low key, pretty, you know, like we don't think about it. And in fact, a lot of churches end up adopting very consumeristic ways of being because it's not really thought about, right? That's probably the category we think less about. Most churches fall into one of these two categories. They focus a lot on the stories or they focus a lot on the habits, Right? And when you focus solely on the habits and you forget the stories or the things you worship, what ends up happening is you end up in legalism. And maybe you know churches like that. They'll pound the rules into your head. 
They will beat them over your head as hard as they can. And you have a whole set of, you know, the 287 commandments that this church says you must follow if you are to be saved, right? Like, that can be a problem. That can happen. Legalism, it can fall into that. But equally, what can happen on the other end of the spectrum is what I talked about earlier, Project Self, where the habits that I form, like this sermon series ends up just being a, a series of life hacks, how to be a better you. And it becomes all about you, right? And if we just focus on habits, that's the problem. Some churches, and this is probably where our church has, has tended to malfunction towards, I think, if I'm being honest, self-reflective, stories. It's important, the stories that you believe, the things that you hear, because they affect who you become, right? But worldview alone, we just deal on the worldview level. Well, if, we assume if people can just get their, their brains right, if they can just think the right thoughts and have the right doctrines and know the right truth, then they'll change. It'll be who they are. No, you won't. Because you haven't addressed the habits that you naturally fall into and the things that you worship, right? All right, and so worldview alone ends up falling short. If you just focus purely on the things you worship, oftentimes you'll just end up with a cheap substitution. It has to be all three of those things, right? Because often the cheap substitution is, I say I believe in Jesus, but the reality of the rituals and worship of my life says that actually I probably worship money. You know, or whatever it might be. Again, easy to pick on. Okay? So hopefully that chart kind of helps you understand the way formation works. And so why the next two weeks are really important even in, in, this, in this topic, right? So Luke's going to talk about more like the body and the things that we do because we know through the body. So much of what we know comes through the body. But this morning, we're going to talk some more about the brain. So here's a question then. How are you intentionally cultivating your thought life? Is that something you've actually thought about? <laughs> How you're cultivating your thought life? I'd say for many of us, the answer is no. My guess is most of us aren't. We just kind of go through life and let it come as it comes. But the reality is this. We have a say in our thought life. We have a say in our thought life. In the kind of people we become. How we choose to allow our brain to be wired. There are some things, you know what, because of where we live, like we don't have a whole lot of control over. But for the most part, we have a lot of control over the way our brains are wired, right? We could go into a topic about neuroplasticity, but we're already like enough time into this. We're not going to talk about it. And I'll leave it to somebody who actually knows the science of neuroplasticity. But the thing is, is this. You play a part in forming who you are, who you become. You can take back charge with the Holy Spirit, our thought life, and the way our brains are wired. And so life to the full then requires that we begin living from a different story. That if this story that is so told to us so often is that buying leads to happiness, buying you know, the freedom to have whatever I want leads to happiness, if that's a cheap imitation, then we need to begin to, to shift our lives to a different story. And I think there's a better story on offer. That's why I'm here. I wouldn't be standing up here talking to you about this if I didn't think there was a better story on offer. I am convinced of it with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind, that there is a better story on offer. And again, this isn't about retreating from the world, but learning to live faithfully in it. Okay? I think what's happened is all of life has become this pursuit of happiness. But the problem is, is there's, there's very little room for the transcendent, 
for, the, for, for God. There's very little room because we're so busy with the things that like we can touch and taste and take. And t- you know, like we're so busy seeking after imminent things. But eventually what happens is the ghost of transcendence catches up to us. And we're left feeling very empty. And maybe you've been there those times where you're left feeling very empty. I think about um, the artist Phoebe Bridger. She wrote in a song called Chinese Satellite. Um, She said, I want to believe. Instead, I look at the sky and I feel nothing. You know I hate to be alone. I want to be wrong. And I think many of us can resonate with that feeling. Many in our world can resonate with that feeling. I I, want to believe, but yet I'm so busy with imminent things that I don't have time for anything spiritual. So what if there's a better story? And this is it. I think the stories of the Christian faith are powerful, and they hold in them the key to life to the full. And that key is found in the person of Jesus. We inhabit the story of Jesus. We live from the vine, as we've read Earlier in John 15, we live from the vine and and the rest of the New Testament is a working out of how to live from that story, how to live from the story of Jesus, right? So we we are given the story of Jesus, who Jesus was, right? And we tend to think of the New Testament as like a book of rules, a book of all, it's like, no, it's like, here's the story of Jesus, here's the book of Acts, the story of the church, and the rest of it, you know, whether that's Ephesians, Colossians, Galatians, uh, you know, 1 and 2 Peter, it's all about saying, now here's how we live out this story. Here's how we live out the story of Jesus. And so, how we live from the vine. It's learning to intentionally cultivate a different story in our lives, a better story, and letting the gospel story transform our hearts. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, Paul, um, Paul's writing here, and again, this is about how we live out the story of Jesus, how we become like Jesus, how we become live life with Jesus. So in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, Paul says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Or maybe your translation says, by the renewing of your mind. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Renewing our minds. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. We need to change the way we think. And again... Paul makes it very clear, this is a work of the Spirit. But we get to partner with the Spirit in this to become the person that God wants us to be, to transform us into a new person by changing the way we think. And it starts then by deconstructing, by looking at the worldview that we actually live out of, the the stories that we actually believe. What What is the story, the narrative that you believe that says, I will not be happy until... Only the gospel, then, I think, is truly good for people. In 1 Peter chapter 2, I think I I don't have that one up. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, Peter says, In your hearts, 
honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Oftentimes, I think this passage has been used as a way to say, like, you need to be ready to do apologetics. Give people all the facts for why you believe what you believe. That's good. That's well and good. Sometimes people need that. But I think more often than not, what people need is not a list of facts. They need a better story. I know in my life, facts are important. Facts are good. Facts are facts. They're real life, right? But I think what I need oftentimes is not to be beat over the head with a fact. I need a better story. I don't need to just know that this Kia has a bigger boot. Deep down, what I want to know is that it's going to give me the life I've been looking for. That's why that ad works. And so I think the same, we can apply the same when it comes to the Bible. I don't need just to, the only thing I, again, I don't need to have an argument necessarily that Jesus existed. That may be important for some people. And again, it's important to know that Jesus really did exist. I'm not saying that's not important. But what I need to know is that Jesus' existence changes the entire scope of human history, changes the scope of the world, and is inviting you and me into a different story to live out of a different way of life, a fundamentally different way of life that, as Jesus says, leads to life. That's what I need. And part of that is, yes, Jesus really existed, and he really was who he said he was. I'm not saying that's not important, but I think what Peter is getting at here is we are inviting people into a better story, and you and I need to know that story. And it's not just for other people. We need that story. We don't just need facts of information. We need the life-changing story of the gospel to penetrate and to change our lives. And as it changes our lives, it leads us to share that story with our friends and our family and others. And it changes who we become so that we're not just saying something with our mouths, but we demonstrate it with our whole lives, that we begin to know Jesus, to be like Jesus. And to show the world what Jesus is like. To be what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. A light to the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Because it's the gospel that's good for people. Because as Christopher J.H. Wright says, only the gospel exposes the cancer of idolatry. Only the gospel is good for people. And so not only can the story of the Bible interrogate our dominant cultural narratives, but it also makes much better sense of the world than those narratives. So what should I do? It's the age-old question, right? Maybe I've, in the, you know, in the last 40 minutes, yes, it's been 40 minutes, I, I convinced you this is true. So, so now what? What do I do with my life? That's always the question then. Like, great, okay, you gave me a bunch of information, but now... Now what? In this series, we're trying to be very practical. And I think there's one really important thing that says, when, if I become convinced of this and say, okay, I need, to, I need to know the story of God better. I need to live that story. I need to change the narratives that I'm living my life from. How do I do that? The first thing that's important is this. Start where you are, not where you should be. That is so important because we can crush ourselves under the weight of expectation or other we can crush others under the weight of expectation it says we need to have grace that says we all have a starting point and jesus recognized that we see that in the life of jesus the way he treated people was different based on where they were in life what they needed to hear he was sensitive to that and i think jesus is sensitive to that in your life too and we should be sensitive to that in each other's lives that says where we are is not where we have to be 
but it's where we're starting. And that's important too. Where you are is not where you have to be. You don't have to be there forever. You can grow. But start where you are, not where you should be. And so I, I think one place that we can start is I remember my mom used to say this phrase. And it drove me nuts as a kid. And I don't know what the Irish equivalent of this is, so I'm just going to say the American equivalent, which is garbage in, garbage out. So like rubbish in, rubbish out. Would, just, would you just transition, you know, change the word there? You know, like, and I remember I used to think it was like the dumbest thing. Mom, you don't understand. You don't know what you're talking about. That's not true. Well, my mom actually, science would say she's right. So I guess if I'm going to side with the side of science, then I've got to admit my mom was right. Garbage in, garbage out. There's some degree to that that's really true. The things that we let into our minds affect us. Big surprise. That should probably not be a surprise to us, that actually the things that we let into our lives affect us. And so, the first thing I would suggest is this. Rethink the first thing you do with your day. All right? And I think this, isn't, this, this right here, this is a really important first step. Rethink the way you start your day. For many of us, they say actually 90% of people, the first thing they do when they get up in the morning is look at their phone. Is there much life-giving on your phone at the moment? Could it be that that might affect you, your mood, how you treat other people, who you become, right? I know when I open the, my Irish Independent app or my Irish Times app, it's, it's not usually real happy news because nobody wants to click on that. It's gossipy clickbait, or it's some disastrous you know, thing that's going on somewhere in the world, right? I mean, it's, it's not always a great way, you know, or some op-ed that's like, you just go like, you know, you find yourself shaking your head. Like, you know, like, or social media. I mean, like, that's even worse. Like, if you start your day on, like, you know, whatever it is, you know, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, choose your poison. Probably not a great way to start your day, right? Because let's just be honest, there's a lot of poison on there. I'm not saying they aren't useful or they can't be good or anything like that. I mean, I, I don't have an Instagram account. I've said that a million times because I don't take pictures. But like, I, I do have a Facebook. I know, I'm old. Um, and I do have a Twitter that I don't use. But like, I still have them. You know, like, but that's not a great way to start your day either. What if instead, before you pick up your phone, you read your Bible and you prayed? What if that was the way you started your day? was you started your day by sitting down and saying, and maybe it's with a cup of coffee because you're like me, you're not a morning person and you will quickly turn into a zombie if you just sit down, <laughs> um, right? Like, you, like, even there, you know, sometimes like march in place or something, you, do, you know, like anything to not fall asleep in the morning, right? Okay, um, <laughs> but it's like, it's saying, okay, when I start my day, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come to my, I'm gonna come to the table, I'm gonna come to, you know, a standing position, uh, I'm going to do whatever it is, you know, that you need to do and say, God, I'm here. Thank you for bringing me into another day, starting with gratitude saying, uh, and prayer, but then opening God's word and saying, God, what do you have to say to me? What do I need to know? What do I need to hear this morning? And reading the Bible. Now, I'm going to say something, and listen, I, I think this is, this is important. The verse of the day is fine. Okay, that's, that's not a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. But if that's the only way you read your Bible, look, no shame. Okay, I, look, I'm glad you're opening your Bible. All right, but I think there's a better way. 
And it's taking, maybe instead of one minute, it's taking 10 minutes. And saying, I'm going to read a bigger chunk. And then maybe out of that chunk, something's going to stick out to me. And that's going to be my verse of the day. Because the danger of a verse of the day is that it's completely out of context. I don't have a context for what, how it was written. And so getting that context, and I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that. As you read like a chunk of scripture, there's something where you're like, you just feel like God spoke to you as you read that. Or like, I needed to hear that. And then it's like letting that be the verse of the day that you dwell on and meditate on. It's in context. So listen, I, I just want to encourage you to read your Bible. And if it needs to start, like I said, start where you are, not where you should be. And if it starts with the verse of the day, great. But don't stop there. <laughs> because I believe that God's word is active and living, and it speaks to our very soul. And, it you know, and, and again, it goes into our brain, and we're able to use this brain that God has given us to process what God has, has said. And it begins to change who we become. Because it's a story, and it's a formative story, and it's a powerful story that speaks to the human condition in a way that nothing else can. And so I encourage you to do that. The other thing I would say is this. Start singing. Maybe you're like, you don't want to hear me sing. That's fine. I'm not asking you to sing for me. There is something deeply formative about music. We know it, right? When you hear that song and like the goosebumps come on your arm, Right? Music has an ability to do something to us. And I would say, start singing. And start listening to things that are good for you. Start listening to music that's good for you. Listen, I'm, I understand that the contemporary Christian music world is a horrible place sometimes. <laughs> and if you love contemporary Christian, I, music is subjective. You can love it. That's fine. I understand, but you know what? There's actually a lot of really good stuff out there. There's actually Christians who are making good art, and it's nice. Um, it's nice to see. But there's, um, but I would say, find some, find some Christian music even that can uplift. And again, it doesn't mean you can't listen to anything else. I'm not. Please hear me. I'm not saying that. I just quoted Phoebe Bridgers. Okay, I'm not saying you can't listen to anything else. I'm just saying, what you listen to will have an effect on you. So even there, listening to music critically, is important. And not just listening to it aimlessly. And this is something I've had to learn in my life. But singing music. Music is powerful and it's formative. And I would say the other thing I would say is find a good podcast. Do you know? You're sitting in your car or whatever. Like, find a good podcast. Like, we, like I, I know, like, Alyssa really enjoys the She Reads Truth podcast. Um, obviously, that's not geared towards men necessarily. Although, I listen to it sometimes with her. I find great benefit in it. But like, I like to listen to sermons and things. Like That's some of the stuff that I like to listen to, among other podcasts. But it's like, find a good podcast. The Bible Project podcast. Again, none of these podcasts are perfect, but many of them will, will be deeply helpful, I think. Um, and then the last thing I would say is this. Tell the story to yourself. Tell it to your kids. And tell it to anyone who will listen. Later in the year, we're going to unpack Deuteronomy 6. I have it written down here, but we're not. You go read Deuteronomy 6. Again, it, it espouses all those things. The idea that we need to tell the story to ourselves, to our kids, and anyone who will listen. Because it's deeply formative. All right? And now we come to this time of communion. And communion is something that we do with our bodies. And Luke's going to talk about this, I think, next week. That, again, we can't just like separate mind and body. Right? They interact with each other. They're 
they're woven in with one another. And communion is one of those places where we come and we, we have juice and we have bread, cracker, right? And it speaks to our, to our souls and it speaks to our minds through our body. And that's important. You are not just a brain on a stick. You are a body, right? And equally, you are not just a bag of skin. <laughs> you are, you, you have a brain. And those together make who you are. And they influence one another. Sorry, you can sit with that for a while. Um, but <laughs> communion then is a place where we participate in the story of God physically. We're reminded that we're a part of something bigger. You know, when I said this can easily, this could easily dive into some sort of like self-help project or life hacks project. And that is not what this is. It's not about me. What I'm reminded of at communion is that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that is all of us. I'm a part of that community. I am a sinner that's been saved, but it's bigger than me. I'm connected to a past. You know, Jesus says that we've been grafted in. I'm connected to the story of God that started with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1. Connected into something bigger than me. I'm a part of something that began long before me and will continue, most likely, long after I die. And once Jesus returns, like, hey, look, the picture is a giant party that goes on for eternity. Sounds pretty good to me. Right? <clears throat> and we all participate together. It's a moment where we are reminded that we together are a part of what God is doing and what God has done and what God will do. Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm one of them. So are you. I hate that I'm about to do this. So let's just praise the Lord. <laughs> if you've ever heard the song Father Abraham, I'm sorry. Um, no, I just couldn't help myself. So at communion, we were reminded. We are a part of God's family. And so I invite anybody who, who says, I'm a follower of Jesus, I, I invite you to take communion with us this morning to remember that you are a part of God's family, that you are connected into the vine, and that we live from the vine. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father.